0: You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now here is Tom Eliff. The hidden work of God. That's the topic for the message this morning. Israel had been in Egypt for 400 years. Those early years had been years of tremendous prosperity, so much so that Israel was content to remain in the land of Egypt. That was never God's plan. God's plan was for Israel to be planted in what had formerly been the land of Canaan, the land bridge of the world at that time, every major culture passing through that area. God wanted the world to know that there weren't many gods, there was one God, and the way to Him was the way of faith. So as contented as they were in Egypt and as prosperous as they were in Egypt, it was God's plan to take them back to what has often been called the promised land. The only way that was going to happen, however, was for Israel's life to become miserable. And in chapter 1, we see the necessity of affliction. God is stirring up their their nest. God is making Israel uncomfortable so that they will grow, so that they will become the people he wants them to be and move where he wants them to move. And our growth comes through stress and affliction, resistance, and thus the necessity of affliction. But now as we continue in this pilgrimage along with the children of Israel, we come to chapter 2. And in chapter 2, I want you to consider the hidden work of God. Now here's, here is the purpose of this message. I, there's no reason in hiding it from you. I want you to see that no matter how desperate a situation may be in your life, and there are some who are here in this auditorium, some watching on television, listening on the radio, and you're in terribly desperate uh, situations. And you think that God may have simply forgotten you or that God has overlooked you or that God is busy with someone else and He does not have you in His mind anymore. And you think that what's happening to you, say, in your physical health or in your home, what's happening to you now at work or What's happening to you financially? You're you're considering the fact that what's happening to you is, is happening without God's attention, that God is just busy someplace else. And what I want you to see this morning is no matter how desperate you may be, and regardless of whether you can see it, God is at work on your behalf today. And I want you to see this morning that most of what God does on your behalf you cannot see. And much of what he does you will never know about, and if you did you would not understand it. But that doesn't mean that God is not at work on your behalf. When astronomers now look through these incredibly powerful telescopes and look out into space, they are astounded that What they thought they knew about was only a small fragment of what exists out there. There is more, and beyond the more we know about it, there is a billion times more. And now astronomers are saying there is no end to it. We thought we had it in our heart, in our mind. We thought we understood it, but there is no end to it. And all of that was created by God. And for most of the history of this world, nobody even had any idea that it was out there. The hidden work of God on your behalf is what we're thinking about this morning. Most of what He's doing for you you, you, you will not comprehend. You do not even know what's going on right now on your behalf. And God is doing it. When we read chapter 2, we read about a part of Moses' life with which most people in this auditorium are very familiar We read, first of all, how Moses was born in a time when the king of Egypt was seeing to it that all of the young boys, when they were born, were killed. But Moses' mother, a Levite, married to a Levite, uh, obeyed God and kept that child hidden for three months, then made a little basket, you know, took it down there to the river. Her daughter Miriam was standing to the side. And lo and behold, that basket was discovered by the daughter of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. When she saw Moses, Moses began to cry, and Miriam stepped forth and said, Would you like for me to get a Hebrew lady to to take care of that child? And so now, instead of being killed, the one who would deliver Israel from the bondage and slavery of Egypt was now being raised at the expense of Pharaoh and by his own mother. Pharaoh was paying for his rearing. And for 40 years, Moses was reared at the expense of Pharaoh. In the finest traditions of Egyptian scholarship, with the finest care, he was considered the grandson of Pharaoh. And history tells us he became an incredibly powerful general, His mother didn't know that he would deliver Israel. Pharaoh had no concept that he would one day deliver Israel from Egypt. Even the devil could not have known all that God intended to do for Moses because Moses was going to deliver Israel from the devilish empire of Egypt, the hidden work of God. And then at the age of 40, Moses, with this natural-born leadership, with this capacity and compassion for other people in need, sees an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, and he looks this way and that, and in a rage, kills the Hebrew and hides his body. The next day, too, or kills the Egyptian, rather, and hides the body of the Egyptian. The next day two Hebrews are fighting together and Moses once again steps forward and says, why are you doing this? And one of them says, do you plan to do to me like you did to that Egyptian? And Moses realized that he had been found out. And sure enough, Pharaoh knew what had happened and Moses ran to the land of Midian. Once he came to the land of Midian, he's seated there by a well. Seven daughters of the priest of Midian come up. The shepherds chased them away and after a while, Moses comes to their rescue. He's just a delivering-natured kind of person, and he comes to their rescue, and he provides water for their sheep. And when they go home, they tell their, their dad about it, and Ruel, their father, the priest of Midian, says, well, where is he? Why don't you bring him home? And they ran to get him and brought him home. And thus Moses was introduced to the family of the priest of Midian. And he falls in love with one of his daughters named Zipporah, and he is given her hand in marriage, and Moses becomes very content for the next 40 years, to work as a shepherd for the priest, the prince of Midian. Now while all of this was going on, while God was at work preparing for their deliverance, the children of Israel had absolutely no knowledge of it. You see, this was the hidden work of God. Will you stand with me? And will you read aloud together with me? The scripture text for this morning, the last few verses of Hebrew, uh, rather of Exodus chapter th- 2, beginning with verse 23. Let's read it together. And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried, and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. Here are these miserable Israelites, no idea that God is at work. And out in this congregation, there are some people this morning who are so discouraged so desperate, so downcast, you don't have any idea that God even cares. And the word to you this morning is, He is doing a work on your behalf, a hidden work. But He is right now working on your behalf. And because of that, I want to encourage you to make four commitments. If you really believe God is doing a hidden work on your behalf... I want to ask you to make four commitments with me this morning. Father in heaven, open our hearts to these truths, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. Keep your Bible open for these next few moments. What are these four commitments you ought to make? Given the fact that you believe God is working on your behalf, you can't see it. It's hidden out there. You don't even know where he is at work. You don't know the people with whom he is working. You don't know how your deliverance is going to come. Maybe you have pinpointed somebody or somebodies who could really help you and you're expecting them to deliver you. And God may not even have it in his mind to use them. That's why the psalmist said, don't put your trust in princes. Don't ever look to any one individual as opposed to God to deliver you from your situation invariably we get in situations and there are people who say well you know if that man would just do this or if my company would just do that or if that church would just care if and you have it in your mind how god should engineer your deliverance this morning i want you to see that god's work most of it is hidden but he is working nonetheless on your behalf and as a matter of faith this morning i ask you to make these four commitments number 1 i will obey faithfully I will obey faithfully. Now, I'll not take the time to read the first 10 verses of this chapter 2 of Exodus, but it contains the story of Moses' birth. It contains that wonderful truth that Moses' mother practiced civil disobedience. The edict had gone out from Pharaoh that all of the boy babies that were born were to be killed. Now, someone said, Brother Tom, are you a proponent of civil disobedience? Not necessarily, unless you are compelled by any government, ours or anyone else, compelled to do that which is directly contrary to a specific command of God, a principle of God. And the command had gone out from Pharaoh, all these boys were to be killed. And... The midwives of the Israelites, instead of doing that, they said, we trust God, we fear God. And so they arranged for the delivering of these boys. One of them was this young boy Moses. And Moses' mother said, I'm not going to kill this baby. I'm going to keep this baby alive, contrary to what the government says we should do. You see, Satan had put it in the heart of Pharaoh because Satan was afraid that deliverance was going to come. And every time the devil is afraid a deliverer is coming, he starts killing people. Look at the time of Jesus. Why was it that that Herod had all the male children two years of age and under killed at the time of Jesus because the devil had filled his heart. And these men had come saying, we're looking for the king of the Jews. And Pharaoh sent out an edict. He said, just kill all these boys. That's when they saw the star. So every boy that's two years of age and under, just kill them. And I tell you, the rise of abortion, this horrible, this terrible evil of abortion, not only in our nation, but around the world, countries especially like China. But, but listen, they've got nothing on us here in America. What, what they are doing by edict there, we are doing by desire here in our country. And all over this world, this killing of... The unborn who are still people, who are still children, almost makes you think there must be a deliverer in the wings because the devil always does that when deliverance is near. And so here was this little baby, kept alive. And what I want you to see here is that it is important when times are tough and You're at a desperate moment in your life. It's not just important to obey God in the big issues. It's important to obey God, listen, in every issue. In every issue. Here was this humble Hebrew lady who could have said, we are under such terrible constraints and we're being made slaves and life is hard. I don't have to obey God in these little things. She said, I will obey God in everything, including the value of the life of my child. I've been interested in noticing that when people go through tough times, they think God owes them some allowances. Well, I don't normally drink, preacher, but man, life is so tough, surely God will understand this. Well, Brother Tom, my life has been so hard, and I've worked so hard trying to get my marriage back together. And my wife or my husband, they're just intractable and diffident, and they won't come back to me. Surely He doesn't mind if I have a fling every now and again. After all, a man's a man, a woman's a woman, right? Wrong. You see, when times are tough, you need to obey God in everything. I will obey God faithfully. Last, uh, well, yesterday I was visiting the hospitals. I stopped by to see Elwanda Campbell, one of our employees here at church who works so faithfully in our records division, has for many, many years. And I said to the lady, other lady who was there in the, in the hospital room, I said, this is a great person. Elwanda got a tear in her eye, and she said, Brother Tom, I've never done anything great. I'm not a great person. Go on. You don't, you don't have to say that. I said, oh, Elwanda You misunderstand. You see, greatness is not measured by doing some great thing. There are not that many great things to do out there in the world. But true greatness is doing the everyday things of life in a great way. And I said, that's what you do for us at First Southern. You throw yourself into it, you give yourself, you come early, you stay late, you pour over those things. I will obey God faithfully. Why? Because I know He's at work. I can't see it. It's hidden. But I'm going to obey Him faithfully. Number two, I will wait patiently. I will wait patiently. It's so hard, isn't it? When God doesn't seem to be doing anything, it's so hard to be patient. I mean, if you're just the normal individual, you want to take matters in your own hands, you want to give God a shove, you want to do His work for Him. Here is Moses at the age of 40. Not even married. I mean, he's a general. He's, he, life is going by. And yet, already in his personality, those are, there is that delivering nature. I mean, there are things which would make him a good leader. And he sees an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew and, and he just steps in and says, no, I'm not going to stand for that. Here he has, As he has been reared in the finest tradition of Egyptian scholarship, he's had his mother whisper into his ears every day, but you're a Hebrew, you're a child of God, you have a future. And he steps in and says, I'm not going to allow this to happen. And in an impulse, he kills that Egyptian, hides his body. Not the right thing to do. So that the next day, when he tries to solve an argument between two Hebrews, and you can read about this here in verses 11 through 15... One of the Hebrews says to him, are you going to do with me like you did to the Egyptian? And Moses' heart must have come up in his throat. And he thought, oh, my goodness, I'm found out. And sure enough, he was. And Moses ran. God was going to use that to train him. But see, here was a man trying to do the work of God before it was God's time to do the work. You say, well, now, wait a minute. If Moses had just been patient, couldn't he have been the deliverer then? Listen, Israel wasn't ready to be delivered then. This was not God's time. And so often when we run ahead, all we do is just botch things up. We just create bigger problems. We say, well, this needs to be done, and I don't need to pray about that. I don't need to ask God about that. I've I've prayed and I've asked. I've talked to a man one time who said, Brother Tom, I'm throwing in the towel on my marriage. I said, "Uh, don't do that. He said, Brother Tom, I told God three weeks ago I was going to give it the three best weeks of my life to do everything I could to get my family to come back home. He said, I've done that. She has not come back home. I'm through. I can't tell you the number of times in marriage counseling, when families are falling apart, that just almost the same time that one of those partners is deciding, I've had it, I quit, the other partner's heart is being melted by God and he's preparing to bring them back home. Impatience. I will not wait. But if you believe that God is doing a hidden work then you will wait patiently. That's commitment number two. Commitment number three, I will behave graciously. I will behave graciously. This week, the Lord exposed an ugly side of my temperament. And my first response, I mean, it was ugly. I I, I was horrified. My first response was to say, well, I've got so many, th- in fact, I said, it, I've got so many things on my plate as if that's an excuse, as if being busy or under pressure or having difficulties means it's okay to have bad manners. It is not okay to have bad manners. It is never okay to act in a disingenuous or an ingra- ungracious way. Never. Okay to be rude. Well, they were rude to me, so what? What? Well, they don't know what I'm going through. Why should they? It is never okay to be ungracious. Here is Moses seated now. He's run for his life. He finds himself many, many miles away from his home. He's seated there. He watches these seven ladies come up. They have sheep. The shepherds chase them away. You know, I think it's very interesting. Moses is a pretty quick study. You notice Moses didn't wade into it and said, I'm gonna kill every one of you suckers. If you lay a hand on these ladies again, now you ladies come first, then we'll let... No, he just let them do their deal. He was already in Midian because he had been a little impulsive before. He had learned a little bit. you got to hand him credit for that. And so he waits. The other shepherds are gone. He says to the ladies, look, let me draw the water for you. Let me help you out. In other words, let me behave like a gentleman. By the way, just that little act of gracious behavior is what God used to find him a home, and a wife, and a son, and a job for 40 years. One act of gentlemanliness. Someone said, well, you just can't be that way all the time. Well, you ought at least want to be. Really, you never do get a second chance to make a good first impression, do you? And you never know, do you, what's wrapped up in just one gracious act. In your family, at work, in your church, I will behave graciously. Why? Because God's at work. I may feel like I'm under a lot of pressure. I may have a lot of problems. I may have a lot of difficulties. I may have a thousand things on my mind. But if I believe God is at work, I can be cool. I can be kind if I really believe God is at work. Commitment number four, the last commitment. I will work contentedly. I will work contentedly contentedly if you'll notice down there beginning with verse 21 it says Moses was content to dwell with the man who gave Moses Zipporah his daughter and of course that son Gershom which means in a stranger in a strange land was born to him Moses was content does that mean that Moses wanted to spend the rest of his life as a shepherd by the way it's interesting how that must be pretty good training for leadership spending time along with a bunch of sheep. It served David well. It served Amos well. It served Moses well and others. It must be a pretty good school. I'm not talking about apathy here. I'm not talking about indifference. I'm not saying that Moses hung up his shoes and set out his cleats and said, I'll never be used again. He was content that God was at work. And that in God's time, God would do what God wanted to do. He was available to him, but until, the, until God showed him what that was, he was content. To serve God. Tonight you're going to see one of the principles about discovering God's plan for your life is that you are diligent doing what God's put before you to do now. God is going to find you in the traffic pattern. Many people say, well, to find God's plan, I've got to go off someplace and become some kind of spiritual monk, live a cloistered life, and do a bunch of uh, introspection for months at a time, and then maybe God will show me. No, God's going to find you in the traffic pattern of your life, like He did Moses. He knows where you are. He's got your address. He knows exactly where to find you when he wants you. And in the meantime, he wants you to be faithful in the discharge of the responsibilities you have before you. Moses was content to do that. David was content to do that as a shepherd, knowing that he one day would be king. Samson, after losing his eyesight and become a prisoner, just grinding there at the wheel. Until that moment, God said, Now... I want to bring judgment upon the Philistines. The Bible says that godliness with contentment is great gain. There are men in this congregation who are driving their wives crazy with your restless discontentment. And you don't know what it is. Let me tell you something, guys. It is not usually external geography that needs to change. It is internal geography that needs the adjustment. I will work contentedly, knowing that God is at work in ways I do not even understand, ways I will never know. He is at work maybe on your behalf thousands of miles from here with people whose names you'll never know. God has it all under control. So could you not say, as the scripture challenges us to say this morning because god is at work i will obey him faithfully i will wait for him patiently i will behave on his behalf graciously and i will work for him contentedly father i pray trusting that in these moments your holy spirit will just sweep through this congregation bring to this altar lord those who believe in you and believe in your hidden work. Lord, there are those in this congregation this morning on whose behalf you have been working miles away, years past, and you have done that to bring them to this service this morning so that they might receive Jesus as their Savior and the Lord of their life. There have been praying friends, a mother, a father, a husband, a wife, a brother, a sister, a neighbor, someone with whom they have worked. And in that fashion, you have just been at work and you brought their lives together and you brought them here this morning so that they might turn from self and turn to the Savior who died on the cross for them. Oh, Lord, touch their hearts in this moment, I pray in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed, every eye closed. In these few moments, we're going to stand. Our choir in a few moments is going to sing a hymn of invitation. They're going to lead us as we sing this great song of invitation. It is your invitation to come to Jesus. And listen, dear friend, if you don't have the confidence, if you died the day that you'd spend your forever with God in heaven, he has been at work on your behalf. That includes sending his son Jesus to pay the wages of sin, which is death for you, because all of us have sinned. And Jesus, before you even knew there was a Jesus, over 2,000 years ago, almost 2,000 years ago, died on your behalf, the hidden work of God for you. And he's made it possible for you to be here this morning, to hear the message of the gospel, to know that this Jesus who died has risen from the grave. He is alive. And he says if you will turn from yourself and believe on him, you can have eternal life, forgiveness and cleansing of sin. And I would urge you in a few moments when we stand, the choir begins singing, that as a part of standing up, you just step to the aisle, make your way forward. Find one of these counselors who are coming even now. And take them by the hand and say to them, look, I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. Maybe that person is next to you, dear Christian friend. And God has done all of this through all of time so that you would lean over, put your hand on their arm, or encourage them in some way and say, look, could I go with you to the altar? Don't abandon this moment of opportunity that God has placed you in. Perhaps you're here. You're not a member of this church. God's been speaking to your heart, why not join today? This is a perfect time to join. James 4, 17 says, if a man knows what's right and does it not, to him it is sin. You know what's right, then do it. Some folks are even coming. God bless you, brothers, as you come to trust in Jesus. That's it. And you want to come this morning to join this church as a family, as an individual, a couple, a single person. Well, this is your invitation to join this church family to say yes to God. Would you do that this morning? If you've made a decision in earlier services, such as the one who was baptized, I'm going to ask you to come and seat over here to your right where it says seating for new members. Your moment, your invitation, an opportunity for you to express to others the decision that you have made. Prayer warriors will be coming. You'll come to pray here at this altar. Let's stand together. Father in heaven, how I pray, trusting that your Holy Spirit will bring others such as these three who've come to receive you this morning already. Bring them to the altar, Lord, to confess Christ as Savior, to join this church, to pour out their heart at this altar, to say yes to you. I pray it in Jesus' name.